Guys, if you have a Bible or a phone with the Bible on it, open it up to Mark chapter 4. We're going to, if you've been tracking with, with our series, our summer series of teaching over the last, it's been a couple months now, we've been looking at a parable each week. A parable is, it's a story, but it's a, it's a specific kind of story. Um, and Jesus was the master at telling these, these parables, these stories. And most of them had to do with him describing to people what his kingdom was like or was going to be like. Because Jesus, the Son of God who is the King of Heaven, came to establish his kingdom on earth. That the kingdom of heaven and the world we live in would become one again. And he would rule over all of creation and restore everything that's broken and vanquish evil and recreate creation as we know. And he would tell these parables about what it was going to be like. And they all had to do with his kingdom, life in his kingdom. Occasionally, he would do what we call an enacted parable. So instead of just telling a story, he would actually go out and do something. And it wasn't just to sort of flex his divinity or just arbitrarily heal someone or do a miracle. He would do those things, but in a way that he was actually enacting a kind of parable as he did the stuff an enacted parable. And this evening, just to kind of switch things up a little bit, we're going to look at one of these enacted parables in the book of Mark, chapter 4. So let me read it to you now. I'm looking at Mark, chapter 4, starting in verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Heavenly Father, Help us as we consider the meaning of these words and these, these events and what they mean for us today in our lives in Portland. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, it is a miracle, just to state the obvious. Jesus, after spending a whole day teaching the crowds on the shore of the Sea of Galilee near his hometown, finally turns to his disciples and he says, let's call it a day. Let's get into the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And a storm arose. It's so severe that it begins to overwhelm the boat. 
And the disciples, many of whom were seasoned fishermen, they knew the sea, were overwhelmed and terrified, thinking, we are going to die. And Jesus, as we just read, is asleep in the stern of the boat. He's asleep. Of course, the disciples, they wake him up. Off the record, I like to think that Jesus wasn't actually asleep. Like he was definitely resting, but probably with one eye open just to see like what his disciples were going to do. That's my, my pet theory. But he was resting in the stern of the boat, and the disciples wake him up. And they, say, and they say, teacher, don't you care that we are going to perish? And Jesus speaks the word. He commands creation, the wind and the sea to be still. And there's a great calm that comes over the water. And of course, the disciples, they're, they're so amazed that it says they're filled with terror, great fear. Who on earth did they get into a boat with? Who is this that even commands the wind and the water to be still and they obey? It's a miracle. And it says, on the same day, that's, that's how it started out. On that day, Jesus said, let's get to the boat. Meaning, not a few days later, not at some unstated time, but on the same day that Jesus had just spent the whole day teaching about what life in the kingdom was going to be like. And I think Mark wants us to, to connect some thoughts. I think he wants us to realize that these are not sort of disconnected uh, moments, but Jesus is in fact wanting to take his disciples into the lab. It's as if he said, okay, you've heard the teachings, you've gotten the principles, you've watched all the videos, you took ample notes, now let's go try this stuff out. Let's go see what happens when we actually get in a boat and begin to cross over to the other side. It reminds me of the deck I just built. Ever tried building a deck? I just built one in my backyard. I'm very, very proud of it. Never done it before. Went on YouTube, watched a couple of hours worth of videos, uh, mastered the process, and then attempted to build it. Um, turned out great. Looked fantastic. Used wood, so nice natural finish. Thoroughly impressed my wife, which was kind of annoying because I'm like, you don't have to act that impressed as if it wasn't going to be awesome. And then I put the pool on it. We have a little four-footer. I actually built the deck to put the pool on. Got it all level. Put the pool on it. Guess what happened to the deck? It didn't break. It didn't break. It actually stood up under the pressure. You see where I'm going with this. It didn't break until, until my kids got in the pool. What happened then, Judah? Now that I've gotten your attention. Sorry, he gets embarrassed. 
So my seven-year-old is quite the daredevil. He doesn't just swim. He has to climb up onto the side and, and do like flying leaps into the pool. Needless to say, uh, the, the flying leaps off of the side of the pool is what finally did it, and the deck broke. I think I can fix it, but it'll have to be at the end of the summer. The point is, Jesus doesn't just give us lessons to sort of log away, along with all of the other YouTube videos we've, we've watched over time. He wants to actually take us someplace. He gives us truth. He teaches us. He illustrates what his kingdom's like. He has like way better analogies than I do. And then he says, right, let's go. Let's go do something with this. I don't want to just give you propositional truth. I want you to experience something of what my kingdom is actually like. I want you to experience this truth in relationship with me. I want you to trust me. I want you to come on an adventure with me. And this is, this is quintessential Jesus. He doesn't just give us lessons to learn or commandments to obey. He invites us into relationship with him to experience life as he leads us, as he strengthens us, as he brings us home. So Jesus wants to take us someplace and there will be wind and waves along the way. In the middle of the storm, what are the disciples doing? Panicking, freaking out, um, deciding in a moment that perhaps Jesus was not for them all along and that he drug them out into the middle of the sea just to see them die. Uh, they completely flip out. And what was Jesus doing? Sleeping, resting in the stern of the boat on a cushion. What would you be doing? Because it depends on how you feel about water. What do you do in moments like that? You ever been in a meeting like this, a moment, only the preaching's really good, and by the end of the talk, you get up, and you begin to make your way home, and you're thinking, man, like, I am... I've just taken spirituality to the next level. I mean, that message, that truth was so enlightening, so powerful, I think I might actually be levitating off the ground. And you have this feeling that like, dude, I'm, I have arrived. Like, this is it. I'm, I may be the greatest Christian since Jesus. And you get in the car, you go home, and you actually attempt to like live life. And you realize there's a world of difference between getting something here, and then actually living it out in real life. What do you do when the storms of life begin to rock your little boat? I think most of us kind of do what the disciples did. Typically, initially, we panic, we freak out, and we begin to wonder if God is even real. You ever been in that kind of storm? Jesus wants to teach us how to rest with him in the chaos. If you're going to take notes, this would be the one thing I'd want you to write down. Jesus wants to teach us 
how to rest with him in the chaos of life. This is what Jesus just spent the whole day talking about. The kingdom of God is like a seed that is planted in the ground. If you back up and mark just before we get to the boat ride, this is what he was teaching about all day long. The kingdom of God is like, it's like a garden. It's like planting a seed in the ground and you can till the soil and you can, you can water the seed and you can care for it and you can get up at the crack of dawn and do it all over again. But it is God who gives the growth. The kingdom of God is something that God himself is bringing The kingdom of God is like a seed that you can do everything in your power to cultivate, to tend to, to look after, to grow. But ultimately, at the end of the day, God is God and we are not. He brings the growth. He protects his children. He fights for us. He feeds us. He helps us. He guides us. He shows us. He transforms us. He lifts us. He is God and we are not. And that is the nature of the kingdom. So let's get on a boat and go try it out. I love what Psalm 127 says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, The watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Jesus wants to teach us how to rest with him in the chaos of life. Jesus was able to rest in the storm. Because he knew from whom his help would come. Jesus was God in the flesh. It's one of the radically unique things about Jesus. He's not just another teacher. He's a phenomenal teacher. But he claimed to be one with God. That's controversial. But he wasn't merely God. This is one of the other radically unique things about the Christian faith. Within the words of the book, God is revealed as this triune being, God who is one and yet who exists in this sort of trinity of relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus was able to rest in the chaos of the storm because he knew from whom his help would come. He had this eternal, perfect, amazing, divine relationship with his heavenly father. And so when that storm began to rock their little boat, he knew where his help would come. He could rest because he knew that he was never alone. Even when he faced death, He could rest knowing from whom his help would come. 
Jesus offers his rest to you in the storm. Jesus offers his rest to us. Why is this a big deal? Do you want the rest? Let me ask you this. How do you guys feel about this so far? How, how are we doing? We good? You feeling me? Okay, let's suppose you're not a Christian. Let me, let me, let me appeal to you. Okay, because I, I wouldn't dare assume anything about, about everyone. But let's say you're not a Christian. And you would say, well, maybe Jesus was the Son of God. Maybe he is exactly who he claimed to be and who, who the disciples experienced him as. Maybe the Bible is an actual, accurate record of historical events. And we don't need to just make up who we think Jesus is or who we would like him to be. But he is, in fact, who you claim. Okay, so let's say that's all true. And let's say this, in the same way he was able to speak to that storm, a real storm, by the way, not just a proverbial storm, but an actual, difficult, dangerous circumstance of life. And he was able to speak to it in that moment and say, peace be still. And the disciples experienced his rest for himself. Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you totally want that? 100%. Now, more than ever, I would argue, But what if there's more to it than just individual peace in life? I mean, as wonderful as that would be, if we could actually go through like the chaos and the storms and the difficulty and the turmoils of life and relationships and health and et cetera, et cetera, and actually be able to pause in a moment and say, Jesus, help. Don't you care that I'm like dying right now? And to know that he's present and that he speaks the, so, the storms of our souls and gives us peace in the moment. But he doesn't just promise the individual peace. He promises peace to us. And this is where I'd like to take us. This is where I'd like to kind of land us, if you will. Jesus wants to teach us how to rest in the chaos of life. Why is this so important? Because when anxiety levels begin to rise, relationships suffer. When the chaos of life begins to overwhelm us, it's not just us that suffer. It's our relationships. It's the people around us. It's our marriages. It's our families. It's our community. It's our city. It's our church. When our anxiety levels begin to rise in the chaos of life, we freak out in such a way that our relationships suffer for it. The people that we care about, the ones closest to us, actually oftentimes are the ones who end up getting hurt the most. And so Jesus wants to teach us how to rest in the chaos of life because if we cannot find peace in the chaos around us, we will end up killing one another. We will destroy the boat itself. And Jesus wants to take us someplace. He has a mission for each one of us as individuals. He has a purpose for bringing us together. He has a mission for us as a church family. 
He wants to take us to the other side. You know, there was a guy waiting on the other side of the sea, and he had serious problems. It's another story for another time. But he's the guy who, when asked by Jesus, what is the name of the demon that's been controlling you? The demon answered out of the man's mouth, and he said, I am legion, for we are many. Jesus wanted to meet this guy, and he said, let's go. Let's go to the other side. There's a man who's been broken to the core. They've tried to chain him up. They've tried to, to, to bind him and, and lock him away so that he wouldn't keep hurting people. But the very chains that they had locked him in, he would just break apart. But those chains aren't his problem because he's got chains on the inside. And I have come to break chains of the soul. So let's get in this boat and go to the other side and Jesus wants to take us someplace. But you know what? Wherever Jesus wants to take you, wherever he wants to take his people, it's not going to matter much if we get there, if we can't get there together in one piece, intact, still loving one another. And Jesus wants to teach us how to rest, us, how to rest in the chaos of life because he doesn't want to just get individuals to the other side. He wants to take his people on a mission with him. He wants to get us in a boat together and see if he can't get us to the other side without us self-destructing and taking down the boat with us. It is crucial that we learn how to rest together with Jesus in the chaos of life. Because when you're being pressed on every side of life, if you can't trust God, to be faithful in that moment, then you and I will take matters into our own hands. And out of fear, anger, insecurity, trauma, or even untempered passion, we will do whatever it takes to grasp for control and our relationships will suffer for it. Are you tracking with me so far? Feel the wind picking up? What if an actual storm broke out? That would be epic. How are the storms in your life going for you right now? Isn't life a bit crazy right now? Life's always a bit crazy. But life's a bit crazy right now. My wife and I, we've had more than one or two impassioned conversations about things going on in the world right now. What should be done about it? How we should be thinking about these things? I've had more than one or two conversations with people that I love in our church who have very, very different opinions and strong convictions about what is going on in the world right now and what we should do and think about it. And I've seen anxiety levels begin to creep up and creep up and creep up. And it's as if we're in this boat in the middle of a storm with Jesus trying to take us someplace and we're kind of freaking out, kind of freaking out. And the thing that I've been hearing 
the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart is, I want to teach you how to rest with me in the middle of this storm. Because I'm not just trying to get you someplace. I'm trying to teach you how to rest along the way. Sure, we want to get someplace. I want to see our church become what Jesus wants us to become. I want to do the things that the God has prepared for us to get involved with. I want to stay married for 50 years. I'll be 75 by then. Good enough. Who gets divorced at 75 anyways? Who's got the energy for that? Sorry, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> okay, I want to stay married for 70 more years. How about that? And I don't want to just stay married. I want to learn how to rest along the way. I want to get to the end with joy in my heart, with a heart that is soft and full of love. I don't want to just fill up a building with people. I want to become the people that God has prepared us to become. I don't want to just get to the other side. I don't want to just survive the storm. I want to get there with hearts full of joy. Having learned how to rest with Jesus along the way. Knowing that he is our sovereign king. He is able to still the storm. And when I feel my anxiety levels increase and I'm tempted to grasp for control because it feels like no one's in control and perhaps Jesus doesn't care that the ship's going down when I begin to feel that way, I can hear the Holy Spirit whispering, rest, rest, I've got this. Imagine you're a child. Now allow me to embrace you. Feel my strength. I'm faithful. I love you. Whatever happens, I can use it for good. Our Father is the master of redemption. He takes even what the enemy uses for evil and he can use it to preserve life. Anxiety in the chaos, it compels us to do awful things to each other. Brothers and sisters, Christians who are supposed to be like really good at loving people and stuff. We do awful things to each other. We act like kids throwing tantrums, convinced that it's their fault. So I've been a single dad for the last two weeks. My lovely, lovely wife has been in New York for the last two weeks. She drove cross-country with a, with a young lady, a friend of ours, who moved to Queens. So anyway, she abandoned us for two weeks. She comes home tomorrow, and it's her birthday, by the way, tomorrow. 
anxiety levels have gone up more than once. I'm not going to lie. But we're all still alive. The ship is still relatively intact. But when anxiety levels begin to rise, guys, we like revert to like adolescence. We start to compete over position. Who gets to go first? You know, I love the way uh, Luke tells this same story. Luke chapter 9. He goes on to immediately describe a few um, events, situations that play out as the disciples are continuing to walk this stuff out. And we're told literally in a series of verses how in one moment the disciples are arguing over who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. The next moment they are uh, running to Jesus because someone is attempting to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, but they're not in their group of disciples. And they say, Jesus, do you want us to stop him? He's not doing it like us. And they begin to criticize him. When anxiety levels rise, we are very quick to criticize the people around us. And then in a couple of verses later, later, in Luke 9.54, we're told that Jesus was trying to get some stuff in a Samaritan village and they rejected him because he was a Jew on his way to Jerusalem. But racism, anti-Semitism. And James and John, the sons of thunder, go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume these people? They were obviously indignant at the injustice that their teacher had suffered. And Jesus said, no, he rebukes them. He says, no, 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 don't do that. I didn't come to judge the world, not yet, not now. I've come to die for the world And on and on and on. And we can see examples of how people just like us quickly begin to self-destruct when they're unable to trust the goodness, the strength, the faithfulness of God. We don't have to compete. We don't need to criticize. And regarding injustice, it is our responsibility to see that the most vulnerable are cared for and that the marginalized are given a seat of honor at the table. But God is the one who knows the inner workings of the heart. He is the perfect and merciful judge. And he will answer we will all answer to him on the day of judgment. God is able to see ultimate justice done. This is why he died for us. This is why he went to the cross. This is why he said, don't call down fire. Jerk. I've come to suffer for them and for you and for us. Can I invite our worship team to lead us one more time?
I'd like to close by reading another psalm. And as we're singing together, would you think about the current storms that are going on in your life? Now, none of us are in a boat. Okay, it's not actually raining and there is no wind. In fact, it's quite mild. It's very nice. But there are storms. I think for some of us, there are storms raging in our souls. There's fear, there's anger, uncertainty. Things that you don't know how to control things that happened a long time ago that were certainly not in your control. And now you have the storm in your heart. And Jesus wants to teach us how to rest with him in that storm, in your chaos. He wants to teach us how to rest in the chaos. So as we continue to navigate the, the craziness of life, mask, no mask, riot, don't riot. And what else is there? Like real stuff, challenging stuff. I don't mean to laugh, but it's just if you, one has to laugh every once in a while. And as we navigate the chaos of our world, our city, and this life, would we cry out to Jesus in that moment and say, Lord, before I do something that's just pure anxiety, before I start criticizing the person next to me, before I start to grasp for control out of fear or anger or trauma or untempered zeal, would you help me to rest, trusting that you are still sovereign, you are still God Almighty, you are still with me, you are still for us, you are still able. You are faithful. You command the wind and the sea. Then you command it. Now help me to trust you, Lord. After we've done everything to till the soil, water the seed, get up at the crack of dawn, help us all to remember that ultimately you are the one who brings the growth. You are the king who sees justice done. What does that mean for you in your life? Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of mankind.